Section 46 of Young Folks' Treasury, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathy Wright. Young Folks' Treasury, Volume 2. Edited by Hamilton Wright, maybe. Heroes of Scandinavia. Section 46. The Story of Fritiof. Adapted by Julia Goddard. Part 1. In a cottage overshadowed by wide-spreading oaks, and surrounded by a garden in which bloomed the sweetest flowers of summer, lived an aged peasant named Hilding. Two children might be seen playing about the garden from sunrise to sunset, but they were not old Hilding's children. The handsome boy was the son of the thane Thorsten Vikingsen. The little girl, with dove-like eyes and silken tresses, was the daughter of good King Bela. Together the little ones played through the long pleasant days in their foster-father's garden, or wandered through the woods, or climbed the hills that sheltered them from the northern winds. The boy would seek treasures from the bird's nest for his fair companion, not even fearing to rob the mountain eagle, so that he might bring the spoil to Ingbiorig. He would also take her far out on the blue sea in his little boat, and Ingbiorig never felt afraid as long as Fritiof was with her. As Fritiof grew older, he became a great hunter, and once he slew without weapons a fierce bear, which he brought home in triumph and laid at Ingbiorig's feet. During the winter evenings they sat by the blazing logs on the hearth, and Hilding told them wonderful stories of Osgard and all its glories, of Odin, the king of the gods, and of the beautiful Frigga. But Fritiof thought she could not be half so beautiful as Ingbiorg, and once he said so to her, and it pleased her exceedingly. And he said, moreover, that when he was a man, Ingbiorg should be his wife. This also she was glad to hear, for she loved Fritiof better than any one in the world. But old Hilding told them not to talk nonsense, for Ingbiorg was a king's daughter, and Fritiof but the son of a thane. Part Two. In a room of his palace stood King Bela. He was leaning on his sword, musing over all that was past and thinking of the future. He was an old man, and he felt that his strength was failing him. With him was his faithful friend, Thorsten Vikingsen. They had grown up to manhood together. They had fought in many a battle side by side. They had been companions at many a feast and revel, and now, when old age had fallen upon them, they drew closer to one another, feeling that the hand of death was raised to summon them into another world. The end of life is near, said the king. The shadow of death is cast upon me. No longer do I care for all that men call pleasure. The chase hath lost its charm. The helmet sits heavy upon my brow, and the mead hath lost its flavor. I would that my sons were here, so that I might give them my blessing. Then the servants summoned to King Bella's presence his two sons, Helgi, and Halfden. Dark was the countenance of Helgi, and there was blood upon his hands, for he had just been assisting at the midday sacrifice. 
but the face of Halfden was bright as the early morning, and he was as light and joyous as his brother was dark and gloomy. Fritiof also came, for the thane Thorsten Vikingsen desired to see him, that he too might bless his son when King Bella blessed the royal princes. And the two old friends spoke words of wisdom to their children, and prayed that the gods might be with them in peace and war, in joy and sorrow, and grant them a long life and a glorious death. And when their counsels and prayers were ended, King Bela said, And now, O sons, I bid you remember, in that day when death shall claim me and my faithful friend, that ye lay our bones side by side near the shore of the great ocean. Part three. In due time King Bela died, and Helgi and Halfden shared his kingdom between them. Thorsten Vikingsen died also, and Fritiof became lord of his ancestral home of Fromness. Rich treasures did that home contain, three of them of magic power. The first was the sword of Anjurvaldal. Blood red it shone in time of war, and woe to him who contended with its owner on the battlefield. Next was an arm-ring of pure gold, made by the god Vuland, and given by him to one of Thorsten Vikingsen's forefathers. Once it was stolen and carried to England by the Viking suit, but Thorsten and his friend King Bela pursued the robber. Over the sea they sailed after the Viking, and landed at a lonely place where the rocks reared up their sharp points and made the coast dangerous. There were deep caverns which the waters filled when the tide was up, so lone and dark that men were almost afraid to go into them. But Thorsten Vikingsen and the king his masters were not daunted. Hither they had come after the pirate, and here it was that he had last been heard of, and they searched along the shore and in the caves, and peered into every hole and cranny, until their eyes grew strained and heavy, but no Viking suit was to be seen. They had almost given up hope of finding him, when, looking through a chink that had hitherto escaped their notice, a fearful sight was seen by the valiant Thane. Within a mighty vault, forming a still, cold tomb, there lay a vessel all complete, with masts and spars and anchor, and on the deck there sat a grim skeleton clad in a robe of flame, and on his skinless arm glittered the golden arm-ring wrought by Vuland. The figure held in his left hand a blood-stained sword, from which he was trying to scour away the stains. "'It is my arm-ring,' said Thorsten Vikingsen. "'It is the spirit of the Viking suit.' and forthwith he forced his way into the tomb, and after a deadly conflict with the spectre regained his treasure, and the two friends sailed home in triumph. The third great thing that Fritiof inherited was the dragon-ship Alida, which his forefathers had won in the following manner. One of them, a rough, rude viking, with a tender heart, was out at sea, and on a wreck that was fast sinking saw an old man with green locks sitting disconsolately. The good-natured Viking picked him up, took him home, gave him of the best of food and of sparkling mead, and would have lodged him in his house. But the green-haired man said he could not tarry, for he had many miles to sail that night. But when the sun comes up in the east, 
added the stranger, look for a thank-gift on the wild seashore. And behold, as morning dawned, the Viking saw a goodly vessel making gallant headway. As she drew near the land with streamer flying and broad sails flapping in the wind, the Viking saw that there was no soul on board of her, and yet, without steersmen to guide her, the vessel avoided the shoals and held her way straight to the spot where he was standing. Her prow was a dragon's head, a dragon's tail formed her stern, and dragon's wings bore her along swifter than an eagle before the storm. The green-haired stranger was a sea-god, and the dragon-ship Alida was his thank-gift. Thus Fritiof, though only the son of a thane, had treasures that might have been coveted by kings and princes. He sat in his father's halls, surrounded by his companions. Upon his right was seated his bosom friend Bjorn, and twelve bold champions clad in steel were ranged around the board, and they drank in silence to the memory of Thorsten Vikingsen. But suddenly the harp struck up, and the skalds poured forth their songs in honor of the dead thane. And Fritiof's eyes filled with tears as he listened to his father's praises. Part Four. In spite of Fritiof's wealth, Helgi and Halfden looked with disdain upon the son of their father's friend, and when Fridiof asked to have Ingbiorg for his wife, Helgi scornfully answered, My sister shall not wed the son of a thane. If you like to be our serf, we will make room for you among our servants. Then went Fridiof away in wrath. There was another suitor for the hand of Ingbiorg, good old King Ring who, having lost his wife, thought that the lily of the north would make a tender mother for his little son. And he sent to Helgi and Halfden to ask for Ingbiorg in marriage, but the brothers treated him as they had treated Fritiof, and the old king was roused, and he swore he would revenge himself. Helgi and Halfden were afraid when they found that Ring was really making ready for war. They began to get their army into order, and placed Ingbiorg for safety in the temple of Baldur, and in their distress they even sent to Fritiof to ask him to come and help them. They chose wisely in the messenger they had sent to plead for them, for it was none other than old Hilding who had been so kind to Fritiof in his childhood. Fritiof was playing at chess with Bjorn when Hilding arrived. He pretended not to hear the message and went on with his game. "'Shall the pawn save the king?' he asked Bjorn. And after a time he added, "'There is no other way to save the queen,' which showed that he had been all the time occupied with Hilding's errand. Therefore he returned with the old peasant, and contrived to see Ingbiorg in the temple of Baldur, and found that she still loved him as much as he loved her, and did not wish to marry anyone else.' and again he asked Helgi and Halfden if they were willing that Ingbiorg should be his wife. And again the brothers said, Nay, with scorn, and told him that he had profaned the temple of Baldur by speaking to Ingbiorg within its walls. For such a misdeed, said Helgi, death or banishment is the doom, and thou art in our power. Nevertheless we are willing, as we wish to make thee useful to us, to forego the penalty. Thou shalt therefore sail forth to the distant Orkney Isles, and compel Jarl Angantur to pay the tribute that he owes us. 
Fritiof would have refused to go, but Ingbiorg persuaded him to undertake the mission, for she was afraid of her brothers, and knew that Fritiof would be safer on the wild seas than in their hands. At last Fritiof consented, and he took leave of Ingbiorg, and placed the golden bracelet that Vuland had made upon her arm, praying her to keep it for his sake. And then he sailed away over the heaving waters, and Ingbiorg mourned that her lover was gone. Part V. Over the sea, it was calm enough when Fritiof started. The storm winds were asleep, and the waters heaved gently as though they would fain help speed the dragon ship peacefully on her way. But King Helgi, standing on a rock, repented that he had suffered the noble Fritiof to escape his malice, and as he watched the good ship Alida riding over the sea, he prayed loudly to the ocean fiends that they would trouble the waters and raise a fierce tempest to swallow up Fritiof and the dragon ship. All at once the sparkling sea turned leaden gray, and the billows began to roll, the skies grew dark, and the howl of the driving wind was answered by a sullen roar from the depths beneath. Suddenly a blinding flash of lightning played around the vessel, and as it vanished the pealing thunder burst from the clouds. The raging sea foamed and seethed, and tossed the vessel like a feather upon its angry waves, and deeper sounded the thunder, and more fiercely flashed the lightning round the masts. Wilder, wilder, wilder grew the storm, Alas for Fritiof. Oh, take the tiller in the hand, shouted Fritiof to Bjorn, and I will mount to the topmost mast and look out for danger. And when he looked out, he saw the storm fiends riding on a whale. One was in form like a great white bear, the other like unto a terrible eagle. Now help me! O gift of the sea-god, help me, my elegant Alida, cried Fritiof. And the dragon-ship heard her master's voice, and with her keel she smote the whale. So he died, and sank to the bottom of the sea, leaving the storm-fiends tossing upon the waves. Ho, oh, spears and lances, help me in my need, shouted Fritiof, as he took aim at the monsters and he transfixed the shrieking storm-fiends, and left them entangled in the huge coils of seaweed which the storm had uprooted. "'Ho, ho, ho!' laughed rugged Bjorn. "'They are trapped in their own nets!' And so they were, and they were so much taken up with trying to free themselves from the seaweed and from Fritiof's long darts that they were unable to give any heed to the storm, which therefore went down and Fritiof and his crew sailed on, and reached the Orkney Isles in safety. "'Here comes Fritiof,' said the Viking oddly. "'I know him by his dragon-ship.' And forthwith the Viking rose and went forth. He had heard of the strength of Fritiof, and wished to match himself against him. He did not wait to see whether Fritiof came in enmity or friendship. Fighting was the first thing he thought of, and what he most cared for. However, the Viking had the worst of it in the battle. "'There is witchcraft in thy sword,' said he to Fritiof. So Fritiof threw his sword aside, and they wrestled together unarmed, until Otley was brought to the ground. Then spake Fritiof, 
and if I had my sword, thou wouldst not long be a living man. Fetch it, then, replied Otley. I swear by the gods that I will not move until thou dost return. So Fritiof fetched his sword, but when he saw the conquered Viking still upon the ground, he could not bring himself to slay so honorable a man. Thou art too true and brave to die, said Fritiof. Rise, let us be friends. And the two combatants went hand in hand to the banquet hall of Angantur, Jarl of the Orkney Islands. A splendid hall it was, and a rare company of heroes was there, and all listened eagerly as Fritiof told his story, and wherefore he had come. I never paid tribute to King Bela, though he was an old friend of mine, said the Jarl, as Fritiof ended his speech, nor will I to his sons. If they want aught of me, let them come and take it. It was by no choice of my own that I came upon such an errand, returned Fritiof and I shall be well content to carry back your answer. Take also this purse of gold in token of friendship, continued the Jarl, and remain with us, for I knew thy father. Thus Fritiof and the Jarl became good friends, and Fritiof consented to stay for a while in the Orkney Islands, but after a time he ordered out his good ship Alida, and set sail for his native land. Part Six. But fearful things had come to pass since he had left his home. Framnas, the dwelling of his fathers, was a heap of ruins, and the land was waste and desolate. And as he stood upon the well-beloved spot, striving to find some traces of the past, his faithful hound bounded forth to greet him, and licked his master's hand, and then his favorite steed drew near, and thrust his nose into Fritiof's hand, hoping to find therein a piece of bread, as in the days of old his favorite falcon perched upon his shoulder, and this was Fritiof's welcome to the home of his ancestors. There had been a fierce battle, for King Ring with his army had come against Helgi and Hofden, and the country had been laid waste, and many warriors slain. And when all chance of withstanding him was at an end, the brothers, rather than lose their kingdom, had consented that Ingbiorg should be the wife of Ring. Ingbjorg was married. Fritiof's heart was full of deep sorrow, and he turned his steps toward the temple of Baldur, hoping that at the altar of the god he might meet with consolation. In the temple he found King Helgi, and the sorrow that was weighing down Fritiof's heart gave place to hatred and revenge. Caring nothing for the sacred place, he rushed madly forward. Here! Take thy tribute, he said, and he threw the purse that Jarl Angantur had given him with such force against the face of the king that Helgi fell down senseless on the steps of the altar. Next, seeing his arm-ring on the arm of the statue, for Helgi had taken it from Ingbiorg and placed it there, he tried to tear it off, and lo, the image tottered and fell upon the fire that was burning with sweet perfumes before it. Scarcely had it touched the fire, when it was ablaze, and the flames spreading rapidly on every side, the whole temple was soon a smoldering heap of ruins. Then Fritiof sought his ship. He vowed that he would lead a Viking's life, and leave forever a land where he had suffered so much sorrow, and he put out to sea. 
but no sooner were his sails spread than he saw ten vessels in chase of him and on the deck of one stood helgi who had been rescued from the burning temple and had come in chase of him yet fritiof was rescued from the danger as if by miracle for one by one the ship sank down as though some water-giant had stretched out his strong arm and dragged them below and helgi only saved himself by swimming ashore loud laughed bjorn i bore holes in the ships last night said he it is a rare ending to helgi's fleet and now said fritiof i will forever lead a viking's life i care not for aught upon the land the sea shall be my home and i will seek climes far away from here so he steered the good ship Alida southward, and among the isles of Greece strove to forget the memories of bygone days. Part Seven. In and out of the sunny islands that lay like studs of emerald on a silver shield sailed Fritiof, and on the deck of the dragon ship he rested through the summer nights, looking up at the moon and wondering what she could tell him of the northern land. Sometimes he dreamed of his home, as it was before the wartime. Sometimes he dreamed of the days when he and Ingbiorg roamed through the fields and woods together, or listened to old Hilding's stories by the blazing hearth. And then he would awake up with a start and stroke his faithful hound, who was ever near him, saying, Thou alone knowest no change. To thee all is alike, so long as thy master is with thee. One night, however, as Fritiof was musing on the deck of his vessel, gazing into the cloudless sky, a vision of the past rose up before him. Old familiar faces crowded round him, and in their midst he marked one, best beloved of all, pale, sad, with sorrowful eyes, and her lips moved, and he seemed to hear her say, I am very sad without thee, Fritiof. Then a great longing came upon Fritiof to see Ingbiorg once more. He would go northward, even to the country of King Ring. He must see Ingbiorg. What did he care for danger? He must go. To the cold, dark north. Yet he dared not go openly, for King Ring looked upon him as an enemy, and would seize him at once, and if he did not kill him, would shut him up in prison so that either way he would not see the beautiful queen. Fritiof therefore disguised himself as an old man, and wrapped in bearskins presented himself at the palace. The old king sat upon his throne, and at his side was Ingbiorg the fair, looking like spring by the side of fading autumn. As the strangely dressed figure passed along, the courtiers jeered, and Fritiof, thrown off his guard, angrily seized one of them, and twirled him around with but little effort. "'Ho!' said the king. "'Thou art a strong old man, O stranger. Whence art thou?' "'I was reared in anguish and want,' returned Fritiof. "'Sorrow has filled a bitter cup for me, and I have almost drunk it to the dregs. Once I rode upon a dragon, but now it lies dead upon the seashore.' and I am left in my old age to burn salt upon the strand. Thou art not old, answered the wise king. Thy voice is clear, 
and thy grasp is strong. Throw off thy rude disguise, that we may know our guest. Then Fritiof threw aside his bare skin, and appeared clad in a mantle of blue embroidered velvet, and his hair fell like a golden wave upon his shoulder. Ring did not know him, but Ingbiorig did, and when she handed him the goblet for him to drink, her color went and came, like to the northern light on a field of snow. And Fritiof stayed at the court until the year came round again, and spring once more put forth its early blossoms. One day a gay hunting train went forth, but old King Ring, not being strong as in former years, lay down to rest upon the mossy turf beneath some arching pines, while the hunters rode on. Then Fritiof drew near, and in his heart wild thoughts arose. One blow of his sword, and Ingbiorg was free to be his wife. But as he looked upon the sleeping king, there came a whisper from a better voice. It is cowardly to strike a sleeping foe. And Fritiof shuddered, for he was too brave a man to commit murder. Sleep on, old man he muttered gently to himself. But Ring's sleep was over. He started up. O oh, Fritiof, why hast thou come hither to steal an old man's bride? I came not hither for so dark a purpose, answered Fritiof. I came but to look on the face of my beloved Ingbiorg once more. I know it, replied the king. I have tried thee. I have proved thee and true as tried steel hast thou passed through the furnace. Stay with us yet a little longer. The old man soon will be gathered to his fathers. Then shall his kingdom and his wife be thine. But Fritiof replied that he had already remained too long, and that on the morrow he must depart. Yet he went not, for death had visited the palace, and old King Ring was stretched upon his bier, while the bards around sang of his wisdom. Then arose a cry among the people, We must choose a king! And Fritiof raised aloft upon his shield the little son of Ring. Here is your king, he said, the son of wise old Ring. The blue-eyed child laughed and clapped his hands as he beheld the glittering helmets and glancing spears of the warriors. Then, tired of his high place, he sprang down into the midst of them. Loud uprose the shout, The child shall be our king, and the Jarl Fritiof regent. Hail to the young king of the Northmen! Part 8 But Fritiof, in the hour of his good fortune, did not forget that he had offended the gods. He must make atonement to Baldur for having caused the ruins of his temple. He must turn his steps once more homeward. Home, home, and on his father's grave he sank down with a softened heart, and grieved over the passion and revenge that had swayed his deeds. And as he mourned, the voices of unseen spirits answered him, and whispered that he was forgiven. And to his wandering eyes a vision was vouchsafed, and the temple of Baldur appeared before him, rebuilt in more than its ancient splendor, and deep peace sank into the soul of Fritiof. Rise up! Rise up, Fritiof, and journey onward! The words came clear as a command to Fritiof, 
and he obeyed them. He rose up and journeyed to the place where he had left the temple a heap of blackened ruins. And lo, the vision that had appeared to him was accomplished, for there stood the beautiful building, stately and fair to look upon, so beautiful that, as he gazed, his thoughts were of Valhalla. He entered, and the white-robed, silver-bearded priest welcomed the long-absent Viking, and told him that Helgi was dead, and Halfden reigned alone. "'And know, O Fritiof, said the aged man, "'that Baldur is better pleased when the heart grows soft and injuries are forgiven, than with the most costly sacrifices. Lay aside forever all thoughts of hatred and revenge.' and stretch out to Halfden the hand of friendship. Joy had softened all Fritiof's feelings of anger, and advancing to Halfden, who was standing near the altar, he spoke out manfully. Halfden, said he, let us forget the years that have gone by. Let all past evil and injury be buried in the grave. Henceforth let us be as brothers, and once more I ask thee, Give me Ingbiorg to be my wife. And Halfden made an answer. Thou shalt be my brother. And as he spoke, an inner door flew open, and a sweet chorus of youthful voices was heard. A band of maidens issued forth, and at their head walked Ingbiorg, fairer than ever. Then Halfden, leading her to Fritiof, placed her hand within that of the Viking. Behold thy wife said Halfden. Well hast thou won her. May the gods attend upon your bridal. So Ingbiorg became the wife of Fritiof at last. Thus steps of sorrow had but led them to a height of happiness that poets loved to sing. Paths thick with thorns had blossomed into roses, and wreaths of everlasting flowers had crowned the winter snows and midst the lights and shadows of the old northland their lives flowed on like two two united streams that roll through quiet pastures to the ocean of eternity end of the story of fritiof recording by kathy wright